Okay, welcome to the This Guy Edits podcast, the TGE podcast. This is Tyler. I'm here with the maestro, as he's known at this podcast. He requires us to call him the one and only Sven Papa. Sven, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm a little uh, upset because I don't want to be called maestro. Um, <laughs> that's not true, but I'll get over it. Fine, call me maestro. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy what you're hearing, subscribe on whatever app you're listening to us on. We're available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and tell friends about the podcast. It's constantly growing, which is always fun and rewarding to see because we're really doing this for our own enjoyment, and we learn a lot doing it. It's good to constantly stay on top of talking about editing, thinking about it in this specific way. I actually think it's a good opportunity (laughs) to... To not be an audience member when you're watching a scene and analyze it, you're just sort of you're just hunkering down and you're you're paying attention. You're making yourself watch a scene um, consciously, and that doesn't happen very often when I watch films. I just uh, soak in the story and fall in love with the characters or whatever's going on. And here's an opportunity to sort of take a step back, look at it, and see why it's working. And that's what we're trying to do in this podcast. And maybe it's even better to listen than to watch. Awesome. No, oh, you know what not. we could also talk about? I just yeah, hit 200,000 subscribers on YouTube. Woohoo! Uh, oh, that was terrible. Awesome. Woohoo! Yeah, no, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> that's me celebrating. I'm excited because it's been just over a year since I went from 100,000 to 200,000. And the first 100,000 took two years. So. Technically, that means in six months, I should be at 300,000, and in 12 months, I should be Casey Neistat. <laughs> awesome. So, And that's also because you recently bought a battery-powered skateboard? No, not yet. Or just I'll do that in 12 months. Uh, so that's super cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I can't wait to see the plaque that you get. What are we, what are we looking at? Uh, what, I would what, have to make metal? it myself. Oh, they stopped doing it? No, no, no. You get your next plaque at a million. But I was actually thinking this morning I should make oh. myself a plaque by if I get 250,000 subscribers. How about when we get 200,000 podcast subscribers? Uh, yeah. Make a plaque. Absolutely. For sure. Um, that's awesome, Sven. Congratulations. Yeah, obviously the channel is great. It's created a great... And I think beyond... I don't know why I'm like selling your channel. I'm not trying to sell it. I'm just yeah, saying what I like about it. So I hope it doesn't come across as I'm pushing it on the listener. But the great thing about it... You don't it have to by like now great because it's so big, it sells itself. <laughs> it's, it's such a great thing because not only has Sven been a great mentor... And I was thinking about this the other day. I don't know if I ever would have worked, like kept working as an editor if it wasn't for you. And I learned so much from working with you and you articulate things so perfectly and clearly and just have such a great approach and technique that I'm always trying to share with people that I think it's so cool that that podcast is uh, that the YouTube channel is there for that reason. But then beyond that, you've created this really cool community where we have all these great contributors to all this different stuff on YouTube channel podcast. And you were going to talk about the fact that some of these great contributors, be it Dennis and some others, that have been contributing stuff have been kind of figuring out where to live and work as editors in relation to an article you were looking at on Frame.io. Is that is that true? Yeah, that is a very good uh, segue. That is true. Um, I found this article on Frame.io, uh, which came out last week, which is five reasons aspiring editors might need to move to L.A. and New York. And I was reading it, and I 
we both live in LA and maybe we don't realize. We always think like, no, we don't really have to be here uh, because we're basically just working from home. But the mm -hmm. jobs are really in this town and the opportunity to, to jump into a car for a quick meeting, to meet a new director, or producer, that's, that's probably the most important part of being here. There's some other things that they mention, but I want to, I want to tie it back to some of the people that showed interest to not only watch the stuff, but contribute. And the first guy was, uh, Steve and he, um, lives, lived at the time in Reno and he got involved with, uh, the Tommy Wiseau video the first time where he helped with the animations mm -hmm. of that video and it became a huge success. I think it has like 850,000 views right now. So something that he contributed that I wouldn't have been able to do by myself. I mean, I know basic After Effects, but to that extent, that would have taken me weeks. And I, I had to do the video within a week. Help with that. And then um, he just he kept asking for me to give him more stuff to do. And um, that's that's great because that shows initiative. That shows like this is somebody who not only is talented, but has the right right approach right attitude so then he worked on uh, some of the signs of editing videos his friend came on board Vinny, and ultimately they ended up moving to la not because of me but because they just mm -hmm. felt like uh, up in reno they were working in small agencies getting jobs that weren't really that satisfying and there were a lot of downtime there was a lot of downtime in between And so they, they right. decided, anyway, we're just going to go here. And I told them, when you come here, we should immediately do a project because you're going to get so busy that I won't be able to afford you with the rates that <laughs> I can pay. Because um, as soon as somebody comes into this town and is actually reliable and has that self-initiative, the city just eats you alive. And so we started working <laughs> on this online course. And even as we were shooting, like it took us several months, By now, they are so fully booked on projects that um, it's hard for them to even even devote the time. We're gonna we're gonna make it happen in the next two months. But it is true that LA, and I assume it's the same in New York. For some people, once you get started, once you get here, you just um, go from one job to another, and it is it is definitely an opportunity worthwhile considering. Having said that, there are a lot of people that come here and leave and they don't find their footing. And I'm sure you've experienced that as well with some of your friends that uh, it doesn't work all the time. It's not guaranteed. It has to do with how you approach it. Yeah, I've been teaching film for 12 years and there's some people that didn't immediately start working upon graduating. Yep. It turns out. Um, but also, I think it's a, it, it is a weird thing now because... While obviously I agree with all that, like LA is, you know, especially a hub for, you know, the entertainment industry, et cetera, et cetera. So is New York. There's also other things to think about. Like, for example, it has changed a lot, I feel like, since we first moved to LA, where all these opportunities that are causing Frame.io to write this article, because people are saying, oh, you don't need to be in LA anymore. Like this article, no one would have ever thought you had to write it back when we first moved out here, because it was the spot. And now... Never mind just us thinking 
we don't need to be in LA because we work from home. We also get offered jobs that are not in LA. I got offered like a 20 week editing job in Atlanta. There's just all kinds of stuff going on elsewhere, which is really interesting. And there's obviously a ton of filming going on. There's huge filming communities in other places, you know, be it Vancouver, Georgia, I feel like there's another one. Oh, like Austin has like a great film community. But in terms of post and stuff like that, I don't I don't know for sure that I mean, obviously nothing else is really going to compete with LA at this point in time, but the weird other side of that is if you're not just an editor and you are a filmmaker, it seems like something that's greatly rewarded in filmmaking still before globalization's complete is having a voice and coming from a specific place. So you're always seeing great filmmakers kind of pop up with their great film that's from their place and time. So as these technical abilities, as it becomes easier and easier to make your own film and stuff like that, uh, becomes more predominant, it's, it's, it's interesting to kind of see what's going to happen in that regard. Maybe someone who's not trying to seek out a career, which is obviously why New York or L.A. is the, the wise move, at least to take that gamble or take that attempt, which it sounds like these guys did. But is it, you know, but but... Uh, Fuck, I I forget what my point was going to be What's your point, Tyler? (laughs) What are you trying to say? Well, somewhere along the line, I was going to say it's not just the quantity that you have many more opportunities. It's also the quality, like the the type of projects that you have the opportunity to compete for is obviously um, somewhat interesting. There's a range, I would say. I mean, you get a lot of low-quality stuff or stuff that you might not be excited about in terms of the creative challenge that you're facing in this town. But in Reno, it seems like there's maybe one guy that's doing interesting work and then everything else is just like stuff where you're like, ah, I don't know, it's just like another job. Um, it's, right. not, it's not inspiring me. And here in LA, you can, you can find those interesting projects and hopefully then also make a living with that. Well, and also the it seems like there's a much larger community of resources in terms of available rentable equipment, uh, actors, right. just other artists that are around for you to work with and collaborate and you know make those connections. And hopefully we'll all escape this place at some time, at some absolutely, point. Absolutely, absolutely. But it is, <laughs> it is still a necessity to some extent. I want to point out a, a YouTuber extent. from Canada. Her name is Marina Bruno. And she's pretty young, and she. Um, what I really admire about her is that she just pops out one short after another, and she was doing that back in wherever she was in Canada, and then decided to go to LA and does the same thing. And immediately, the quality of her projects I could tell not only because of her personal growth, but because also of the access she has now here in terms of the talent uh, immediately improved, and every short. Um, gets better and better and i can't i mean i know there's going to be a a feature in the in the very f- near future in her career and it's going to be pretty solid she's going to be a great yeah. first time filmmaker like the one that we're going to be talking about today hey you want to talk about eighth grade i'm so excited about eighth grade you know why why I have two daughters that are in that age range and i was able to get them to watch the movie with us over new year's and they loved it. Okay, not to, okay. So I want to hear more about that. But an interesting point about this movie is that whether the director realizes it or not, I don't believe that it was made for eighth graders. It seems like it was much more made for people that have finished eighth grade, that are adults that are that are looking back on what their experience was. 
I don't know. I, I think, think it's for both. A slight irony. Um, he obviously made a point to screen the unrated version in theaters because it was rated R, which prevented most of the eighth graders to actually see the film. And then they started this whole campaign to find a way that kids can still see it. So what's the final rating on it? Uh, it is rated R as far as I know, but there is a, there's an unrated version there. That's so interesting that it's... So definitely it wasn't made for eighth graders, but it also... Well, they were fully expecting it to be a PG-13 and um, oh, got I screwed. See. I, mean, I mean, he made it... I believe with every ounce of my being that he made it for eighth graders, but I think that the ultimate result is that it wasn't for them for a few different reasons. I think um, gonna I'm going to disagree with you, and I think the scene we're going to watch, I'm going to use that as proof that he really wants eighth graders to watch this film. I mean, yes, of course he does, but it's it's. I think we, as the the grown ups, were the secondary audience, or the ones sure. that are sort of just out of eighth grade now and whatever college. Yeah. Now, let me ask what your your eighth grade daughter's reaction was to it. Well, one is an eighth grader, um, skeptical, intrigued, and loved it. (laughs) And to the point where one of my daughters then made a viewing party a few weeks later with all her friends to see the movie again. That's awesome. It just blows my mind that, I mean, what links would have had to have been gone to to make it PG-13? Well, I think uh, the reasoning was that it's dealing with some real issues like potential rape, sexual assault, social anxiety, suicidal notions. I mean, I don't know if social anxiety is as bad as like, you know, some of the stuff they have in Transformers. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's so real that it's like, I guess um, it's they, they felt like they needed to protect kids from it, which I think is ridiculous. But the idea of the potential rape scene is so incredibly subjective. Yes. I mean, that's, that's an interesting thing to base the... Sort of. I mean, but it's not at all that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want to like, spoil it too much for the film, but uh, yeah, I'm glad that they took it to the extent that they did and that they didn't go any further with it because they could have... They could have turned something that is like feels really authentic and real into something that sort of shows the extreme of what can happen in a situation like this. And I thought it was really good to to just stop at where they were to just get the message across. But, like even though he I'm, might be like a doofus there, the mental mind game that he was playing on her was hardcore. And if she would have been just any less strong in that situation, she would have found herself in a very bad situation. It was all up to her to save herself in there. And she, she barely made it. And that's really, I think that's, that's a much more important message than, um, yeah. Having a rape scene here or sort of, she now has to deal with being a survivor um, because the whole the whole film is about her being right. on the on the verge of not making it through childhood, right? Through coming to age. Yeah. And I thought so. In in that terms, this is this is a very smart choice on behalf of the filmmaker to go there and then really really 
show and this is great about the character throughout the film is even though she is so fragile and she is so vulnerable that she finds ways to be not just a victim but um, to create change for herself thinking on it the, the definitely the trauma of that event was a uh, big the rep, rep repercussions of it for her was a big part of of the film so i guess that maybe had like a traumatic you know i don't know push the rating up or the profanity or, or something like that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I didn't really dig deep into this. Um, um, I, I, can, I can tell you the Everyone R rating wants to know. inspired criticism <laughs> as the decision blocked many 8th grade viewers from seeing the film in theaters. In response, the distributor arranged free unrated screenings across the U.S. Um, and it ended up grossing $13.5 million on a $2 million budget. Yeah, it makes you think like how that movie Kids was like such an authentic portrayal. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a whole different level, place, different but... generation. And in a way, I, mean, I don't know if it's because I'm a parent of Generation Z kids. It feels like the problems they're dealing with, it's not drugs and alcohol, but it's in terms of just mental wellness and social anxiety it's a it's on a different level what they have to deal with yeah. and i think there there are several reasons for that one is social media because it's um, you're constantly stimulated you're constantly looking for stimuli but it's also that information is just readily available so there's this pressure that you're going to be exposed all the time for whatever weaknesses you have it has to do with that but i think it has to do also with the sort of being overscheduled overparented and just feeling this pressure of not knowing what's going to happen with them with them like there's no real path yeah, and like we had i don't know social media is like a weird place where you can be overly personal with complete strangers yeah and yet you know completely can completely fuck you up yeah well that too and just have a complete you know, false representation of yourself going at the same time. Oh, okay. And what? Where's the real you, Sven? Well, I, don't, <laughs> I wouldn't you. know. You're ironically, but ironically, with you, you're one of them. I feel like your social media—that's just you. You know what I mean? Like, there's not like another side to Sven besides what we see on the YouTube channel and yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. Facebook. About that. I'm certainly trying to like present myself in the best way possible. Somewhere in the middle is. <laughs> Is the truth? <laughs> well, we won't we won't push this any further in case we encroach on your personal territory. That's okay. <laughs> you want to set the movie up? Is it yes. too late? Eighth Grade is a 2018 American comedy drama film written and directed by Bo Burnham. And Bo, uh, some people might know, he's a very successful comedian. Young uh, has a very uh, distinct style um, that I think really connects with young people as well he just jumps from one musical bit to another to a comedy routine and it's it's super fast um it in itself feels like it could be a youtube video when you see his routine um, this is his first feature film directorial debut the debut the plot follows the life and struggles of an eighth grader played by elsie fisher who got a nomination for a golden globe by the way for this during her last week of class before graduating to high school she struggles with social anxiety but produces vlogs giving life advice uh, burnham was inspired by his own struggles with anxiety when he began writing the screenplay in 2014 
He had difficulty finding funding until 2016. Um, it shot in Suffolk and White Plains, New York. Oh, this is interesting. Fisher was cast after Burnham noticed her on YouTube. She led a cast including Josh Hamilton and Emily Robinson. And um, yeah, so themes include heavy use of social media, mental health in Generation Z and sexual sexuality and consent. Uh, premiered at Sundance in 2018. It was released theatrically. We talked about that. It is nominated for four Independent Spirit Awards, including Best Feature. I hope it's going to get an Oscar nomination. We'll know soon. Tune in next week. Okay, good. So, <laughs> But um, like I said, Fisher was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Actress. Quick it's, question. Did yeah. Burnham, did he start on YouTube? Did you say that? I thought he started no. on YouTube. Oh, that, that really? might be. I've only seen like two of his stand-up specials on Netflix before this film came out. And I, like, I had to make the connection. Oh, that's the same guy. But So that makes sense that his routine is so, so fast-moving and so on and so forth. I did listen yeah. to a podcast with Mark Maron a while back where he talked about his own anxiety and his panic attacks. And that's something that he discovered when he became um, already a household name as a comedian that he, before he would come on stage, would be in the middle of a panic attack and felt like he's dying and just powered through that, just like try to ignore that and still went on stage and performed. And it really like just messed him up, and he had to take a, a long break from that for several years. You're saying Burnham? Yes, not Marin. Well, oh, sorry. Um, so Bo Burnham was on a podcast with Mark Marin. What's this scene, Sven? It's the opening scene, and so it needs no setup because it's the very beginning of the film. Yeah, and I I picked this scene because I want to show how a filmmaker um, demonstrates authority and authenticity with very few shots because his job here is to make kids want to watch this film yes it's for me as well as a grown-up and a parent and all this stuff but i think he needs to be able to convince kids in seven seconds or less that they should give this film a chance and i think he accomplished that so what do we usually do tyler so we usually watch the scene as we record the podcast and kind of give a description of what's going on, and then we go back and go into a deeper analysis. If you'd like to listen along with us, we will count down, say three, two, one, click. If you'd like to just listen in your car, wherever you listen to the podcast, carry on and please do so. And someday, Dennis, our wonderful contributor to the podcast, will possibly make a amazing video out of it that you can watch on Patreon or on the YouTube channel. Yes, he just did an amazing video on Get Out, which I haven't released yet, but it'll come out in the next few days. Very cool. Here so we go. So what I will do is I will count down. When I will say click, and you will begin playing if you wish to consume in that way. Three, two, one, click. Okay, so this is sort of how... Every second student film starts off. Somebody wakes up, there's an alarm. We don't see the alarm, which I appreciate. <laughs> it's a phone that goes off, and it lights up, and we see the face of our main character, and she has pimples. Love that. We see, <laughs> we cut to, um, like, a mirror in the kids' room with a bunch of post-it notes that have lots of affirmations on there for her to just mm -hmm. be positive. Immediately tells us there's something going on. She's watching a YouTube video yeah. of a makeup tutorial as she's putting on her make 
makeup and sort of mimicking that. That video has 1.9 million views. We cut to the mirror. We cut to the character on YouTube. She is blowing her hair with a hairdryer. She's walking into her room, and I didn't realize this before, but what she's trying... I mean, she, I noticed she's trying not to make up her makeup or mess up her makeup laying down, but what she's really doing is she's taking pictures on Instagram, so it looks like she woke up Snapchat. that way, which I never... Or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> Very Snapchat, important. So it doesn't... Very important. <laughs> so uh, it looks like she woke up looking like... Like, I woke up looking like this, which is hilarious. Yeah. I never noticed. And then it's her entering school. We kind of see her hunched posture. Um, it's a, a, an attribute that the actress brought to the role because apparently that's how she was when she was a little bit younger, even though she just graduated eighth grade when they started filming. So really portraying that sort of lack of self-esteem. And yeah, lots cool of shots, shots of from her. behind and profile. Which and then here we introduce this kid who becomes important. Sorry. No, go ahead. Shots from behind. Oh no, nothing. It's just that, that we see that character that becomes important, just as if he's a random kid in the in the high school, um, random or in the element uh, middle school kid doing markers, her sitting in class, and you just really in a few seconds or minutes here get a real sense or feel for what it is like to be in middle school, which is not a place people generally want to be, which right. is interesting, and you just immediately get that sense. Edited by Jennifer Lilly, which we should point out. Nice. I love this uh, educational video about, I guess this is sex education, and the way she ends her introduction. <laughs> yeah, and then there's something about what's about to happen here where you are told it could be a very certain type of movie when she looks over and sees a sheet over, a t-shirt over this kid, his phone on, and it definitively looks like he's masturbating. She looks away ashamed and like disgusted by it. Which says a lot in of itself, and then the other kids see it and start making fun of him, and you hear this little line of him saying, "I'm not doing that. I'm not masturbating," um, which is funny because that kind of is a cool way to set the movie up because that uh, is a bit of a recurring theme in terms of not so sort of like the humility of, of being embarrassed versus it being like we were talking about with that later scene with the the potential rape scene, how that's not what that scene ends up being. It ends up having like a, a much different meaning. So it's a cool way to kind of set up the meaning of the film with that yeah i have to add i asked my daughters if this is if that would ever happen in real life that somebody would be masturbating uh, like in public <laughs> and both said oh yeah <laughs> and i was shocked i was like oh shit wait different so you think it was actually happening um they thought oh interesting in that scene they thought it was real that he wasn't just doing something else and it looked like another thing and he was getting made fun of it, made fun of for it. Oh, he, it's, my understanding is that he was masturbating. So I guess I'm just taking that line, that ADR line from that character, I'm giving it way too much credence, which is he denies it, but what else yeah. was he going to do, admit it? Yeah, exactly. He's, <laughs> he's masturbating. And I just questioned oh. that this would never happen in real life and... Both of my daughters said, "No, this is this is not, this is not going too far. This is what middle wow. school is like." Oh my god! Yeah, well, I take back everything I said. Um, yeah, so <laughs> we went through the scene. Wow, that was fast. Um, and there are a couple of things I want to point out about this. 
it's obviously a montage to give us sort of set up her home, her what what we call like her work, which is school in mm -hmm. this case, and then her play, what she likes to do for fun, which we quite haven't seen yet here. Um, play would right. be what she's going to do with her YouTube channel. Um, yeah. And... I remember vaguely when Bo Burnham talked to Mark Maron in the podcast that he initially in the script set this all up through Facebook, that she had a Facebook page where she was doing it. And then huh. all the actors basically told him this would never happen. Um, we don't do <laughs> Facebook. And then he let them decide which is the medium and they picked Snapchat at the time which by now maybe Snapchat is not as cool as it was back then. <laughs> um, but right. it is one little detail that is crucial for this filmmaker to get right to be able to connect to this audience. If he would have stuck with Facebook, he would have lost them right there because for that right. generation, Facebook is awful. It's dead. It's what the parents look at. And these Oops. are the little things that I think really make make a difference and if you don't get it right you're you're on a tough road to make a good story work huh yeah that's yeah that's super cool that's funny that he would even someone who's so dialed in as him would even think that um well it's really i mean he's using this story to deal with some of his own stuff so it doesn't necessarily mean that he has huge insights on what it's like to be an eighth grader that's something that you really need right. to explore and trust um, his his actors to help him with. He's he's sometimes it's best to tell a story that goes really really deep with your own sort of demons when you put them in a different world. And I think that's what's going on here. Yeah, and something I'll point out about this about the entire film that's really cool is everything that happens on a screen is practical. Yeah. So she's looking at real social media. She's really recording on Snapchat. And all of that had to be designed by a graphics artist, had to create all this social media stuff for her to be able to look at and interact with like for each character. But that gives it a very specific, realistic feel for the film also. And just when you see the lighting changing on her and stuff, it's so... There's just something about things being real that you know it's hard to replicate when you're, when you're green screening. Or, or improve upon, which is the only reason you should be doing special effects. But um, so I thought that was like a cool thing. Yeah, I want to point out at twenty three seconds when we pan up to all these postus notes, that felt very real to me as well. This is something that uh, one of my daughters does, so I thought it was a nice detail that immediately connected. Yeah, and of course, in big letters, making it clear it's his story is learn a new joke every day. Yeah. Um, I also <laughs> want to point out that they definitely show her pimples and they're not trying to stay away from that. And again, my daughter's pointed out that they really love that about the film, that they embrace the fact that she is, that she is going through puberty and not trying. Because like for them, they're obsessing about trying to get rid of them. They're trying all kinds of um, makeup and and stuff to not show it and filters is obviously huge on the phones to get rid of it and right. so that it immediately connects with them then we're cutting to a youtube video again i want to point out sorry 
my kids, that's all they watch. <laughs> they don't watch TV. Yeah. They barely watch Netflix. It's all about YouTube. And it is their yeah. medium. And editing-wise, there's something... I noticed there was something delicate about the way this opening bit is put together because you would fully expect, especially from the trailer and stuff like that and what happens later, that this movie, the generic choice is that it starts with a YouTube monologue from the main character. Yeah. But we are, in fact... And we don't even hear her on YouTube till till all this setup. We We see her consuming it but not doing it. And it would be very easy to think that the girl who is talking, the little YouTube star whose makeup tutorial is being copied, is the star of the show. And you can tell through drowning out the sound and just so briefly, briefly, briefly cutting to it to give us just barely enough information to understand that this is being watched for information and really focusing on our other character. You can tell a a delicate job has been done just not to have anyone be confused and think that it's about the character that it's it's not, which is the actual YouTube star. Because I didn't even realize she had a terribly unsuccessful YouTube channel until later thinking about it i just there's so many things you take for granted in movies like oh she's into youtube she's gonna become a superstar like and then you realize no one watches her channel (laughs) like four people do that's that's Um, how everybody starts obviously and most people end yeah um i just like that they're also intercutting between the video and what she's doing in the video in terms of her applying her makeup and then to her basically doing the exact same thing and to me, that also reads that she has this intimate relationship with these YouTube characters. They almost feel like they're their friends. And they're going through the same routines, same problems in life. And she's basically mirroring that. I was going to say she's trying to mirror that personality that she, the, the YouTube star has. And she's trying to become it herself. Yeah, and I can picture the bad version of this movie where she eventually meets the YouTube star. Uh-huh. Like, you know that's the studio version. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to point out at 121, we kind of have behind shot that uh, turns into profile shot. I, I keep noticing that profile shots really isolate the character. I think that's happening here. The from behind shot, I think, also helps to see how she's like lost in a sea of other students. Yeah, and one of the more composed shots in this whole movie, because there's a lot of great visuals, but it all seems very, I mean, it's all composed in a way that just seems very natural and like we were where we had to be, whereas that's one that seems very stylistically, you know, composed like a Kubrick shot or something, making a statement. Is the one at 139? Um, where she's walking through the hall. Yeah, at, yeah. Uh, yeah, Powerful. like clearly that wasn't, Yeah. Like, I don't know how natural that is. Guy sniffing the the marker. Yeah, and isn't that the guy she ends up having the date with later? Uh, I Yeah, that could possibly be. So I thought I'm it was interesting, like a sure. cool way that you think he's a random kid, but he's actually the second character that's being introduced. Yeah, <laughs> nice little detail at 146. I just happened to freeze at that sh- moment and there's a welcome sign above her head as she goes through the corridor and she's looking down and it's a nice contrast of how she feels and um that sign doodling at 205 
obviously something that people do when they try to keep themselves occupied when they're bored and it also also is an it's kind of a signifier of mental illness that you constantly have to like keep yourself busy to be able to focus what Um, are you talking about i'm actually literally playing with silly putty as we record this (laughs) um i also at this point at 211 when she's working on her little crafty project there she's putting together some clay to turn it into a pig that it really feels like she even though she's in a in school it feels like she's always alone like it doesn't even matter whether she's there or not nobody really notices her other people are like having fun and they're working together on stuff talking and she's always just by herself yeah so then we're pushing out at 223 from the screen desperate attempt from this whoever shot the school sex ad video to be really connecting with the target audience by ending it with it's going to be lit and nobody pays attention nobody's watching it they're all like (laughs) drawing stuff or doodling yeah and this one guy is jerking off (laughs) and then what else could he be doing uh, i mean i i don't see any other thing he could be doing there well, let's see. I'm just going to listen to that line real quick. He offers some sort of explanation that I can't quite make out, but that was just my take. That, that, well, that I, I understood. It's just that's not of... what I'm doing. That's not what I'm doing. Uh, but right. <laughs> that's what I would be saying in that moment <laughs> yeah. if I was caught. Um, yeah. Lean, what's interesting lean, uh, towards caution. about it is as all the other kids discover that that other kid is potentially masturbating, we're ending on a shot on her. It's slowly dulling in as she's not even paying attention like this is this is too much to handle for her to get involved so she's not she's not partaking in the outrage that could be a little relief in the boredom of this class it doesn't yeah even, she just wants to keep her yeah she she just yeah. basically is done and then we cut to the the main title so i think these are three minutes very well timed very well thought out and um, very effective in grabbing an audience that now yeah you're inviting to take time to spend time with these characters and to face potentially some really painful themes that um, that cut very close to the bone and i thought Mm -hmm. it's very successful yeah and i was thinking the same thing and the other thing that's worth noting is so much happens in these three minutes, which is great. You really get a sense of her world. I mean, so much goes by. We're fully, we're just, we're there. We're in eighth grade with her by the time it ends. Yet, <clears throat> it doesn't feel fast. You know what I mean? It feels yep. what you want it to feel like, which is kind of like, not in a way that takes you out of the movie, but like monotonous and draining just to have to go through her day. You know, it's not like an exciting high-powered lawyer getting ready to you know go try the case it's she has to go to eighth grade yeah so and it feels like it's story. so fast and yet feels so so slow yeah but is engaging it's it's not just a montage it has a through line it's like we're staying within certain mini scenes before we move on to the next thing so it's telling us certain thing is not just giving you okay she's waking up she's in the shower she's walking to the bus now she's in class there's stuff happening that informs character 
Okay, well, uh, thank you for listening. If you enjoy what you're hearing, please tell a friend about the podcast. It helps. The word spreading is great. The feedback we get is great. People seeing things, understanding things we don't is great. There always seems to be a little bit of a debate. I would say I would love to really know how you felt about the film when you saw it. I'd love to know how old you are and what what sort of place in your life you are and how this film potentially um, impacted you or made it made made a mark i'd be very interested to hear about that and one way to do that is to go on a reddit post and that's at thisguyedits.com slash comment and hopefully we'll have a lively discussion there as well as make suggestions about new films i started putting up a little trello board for myself with all the suggestions that come in so some of the upcoming episodes could potentially be moholland drive um, Black Clansman, and we talked about Bandersnatch. So these are some ideas floating mm -hmm. around. Let us know if you have some really interesting films. Some I find that, or we find that, some of the best podcasts come actually from listener suggestions. So give us some suggestions. Yeah, and I mean, by no means are we experts. We're still sort of on training wheels as we're doing this podcast. But we have opinions about things, and we are filmmakers. So there are certain things that we notice and i'm sure there's certain things that you notice and it's it's good to have a discussion about it um to apply it to our craft in that case we would like to thank kurda for the music new album coming soon and as sven always says happy editing Put your head between the speakers. There's no sane zone, so put your head between the speakers. I already have our blooper. Don't what is worry. it? Okay. It's the 200,000. <laughs> the 200,000 attempt. Where you're saying it in different ways. You're expressing your enthusiasm in different ways. <laughs> I hope you recorded that. Um, so this will be... So this is uh, 52 minutes, oh my god.